This is Nels Davis, and you're listening to All the Responsibility, None of the Authority. Welcome to the second episode of my two-parter about giving sales and marketing better product knowledge to help them sell better. Who has the most knowledge about the product, its target market, and the successes of current customers? Well, I hope the answer to that question is product management. Now, in the previous episode, part one of this two-parter, I told a story about a previous company I worked at where the sales and marketing organizations hadn't been getting good product knowledge from the product team. We had successful existing customers who loved our product, and the product was great, but nonetheless, they were continually missing their sales targets, and all was not happy in the land of sales. I was able to step in and assist them in improving their product knowledge. The result was the sales situation turned around pretty quickly, to the point where we started hitting sales targets quarter over quarter. Everything was much happier. So in that episode, I focused on the marketing piece of the product knowledge gap. I laid out the key pieces of product knowledge that the product team needs to share with the marketing organization to ensure their marketing programs generate excellent, high-quality leads. Those leads, of course, are for sales. And in this episode, I cover the two most important types of information that product management needs to share with the sales organization so they can make hay with the awesome leads they're getting from marketing. So, welcome to the podcast. In the All the Responsibility podcast, we feature the best mental models, tools, techniques, secrets for product managers, product marketers, innovators, and founders. If you're trying to create value in the world, delivering solutions to problems that need solving, this podcast will give you insights and approaches to up your game, accelerate your career, and get more value to market faster. This is episode number 321. Now, for a good salesperson, the goal of the first call to a new lead, often called the discovery call, is twofold. First, they want to make sure that the prospect is qualified, which means they have the problem your product solves, and they're looking for a solution and are willing to buy one. A prospect who's not qualified is not worth spending additional time with, since they're very unlikely to buy your product in the first place. Now, if you provide the marketing organization with the correct target segment information, as I discussed in the last episode, these leads are much more likely to be qualified, but still not everyone is going to be. The second part of the sales call, assuming the lead is well qualified, is understanding their pain in detail. The more the salesperson understands the prospect, the more likely they are to close the deal. And to ask the right questions during this call, they need product knowledge from the product team. If you think about it from the prospect's perspective, starting in the discovery call and continuing through the rest of the sales process, the prospect has certain goals. They want to hear certain things from you as a vendor. They want validation that you understand their problem and that you may have a solution to their problem. That's why they're talking to you. They want some level of risk reduction that your solution actually works and that it can be implemented effectively. This will help them minimize the cost of change for them and lower the risk that your product will fail them if they do buy it. And they want to understand why your solution is better than other alternative solutions, including not even buying a solution and just continuing on with things as they are. So those are the prospect's goals. How do you help them achieve those goals? Well, perhaps counterintuitively, the best way to reassure the prospect that you understand their problem is actually to ask good questions. You or your salespeople need to surface the specific challenges and concerns the prospect faces. What is the problem they're trying to solve? And what are the specifics of their situation? Have they tried to solve this problem in the past? And what were the results? What systems do they have to connect to? This is particularly true if it's an enterprise software product, for example. How did they find out about you, and why are they looking at you for a solution? This helps us understand the position we have in their brain. You want to know what competitors they're looking at, if they'll tell you, and you want to know for sure if they have a budget. 
once the salesperson has this information, they can talk about how your solution addresses those challenges specifically and even schedule a demo to show the solution in action on those specific problems. So let me give you an example. Perhaps your product is a project management tool that's particularly strong in resource management. I've been using this project management example because it's something I know pretty well. The salesperson might ask, how do you manage resources on your project? Do the project managers have the authority to assign resources? Why would I use this question? Well, our tool was very strong in that area. So we're assuming that you have a product that has strengths in that area. You know in advance that a prospect with that problem will get a lot of value from your solution. So you're going to ask questions around that particular problem. The question's really playing two roles. It's both a discovery question, does this prospect have the type of problem that we solve? And it's also a qualifying question. If the prospect doesn't have the resource management problems that we solve, then maybe they aren't a good fit for our product. On the other hand, if the prospect is a good fit, then you've shown that you understand one important part of her problem. So how do you develop these good discovery questions? How do you come up with this list of good questions for salespeople to ask? Well, as the product manager, you understand the types of problems your solution solves. You can use this knowledge to give sales good questions to get at those details. For example, if the salesperson just knows that you have a project management solution, then they're only going to be able to ask about projects at a generic level, such as how many projects do you have, which is not a terrible question, but it's not going to help us differentiate or qualify very effectively. With better sales enablement from product management, the salesperson can know how to ask about resource management in the context of projects, which is much more germane to the types of problems that we are best at solving with our tool. So you can also use the power of existing customers. This is a really powerful set of information that you can provide for the salespeople to use during a discovery call, and that's examples of customers who have solved similar problems with your solution. Having social proof of others like your prospect successfully solving similar problems with your product can go a long way to reduce the prospect's risk perception. And remember that risk is always on the, your prospect's mind. Risk that your solution won't solve their problem, risk that the cost of implementing your solution will be too high, or risk that they chose the wrong solution altogether. So let me just put some of these ideas together in a sample conversation, just a little segment of a conversation that might happen in a discovery call. And we'll look at the portion of the call related to resource management, continuing with that project management example. So the salesperson asks, how are you managing the assignment of resources to projects? Do project managers have the authority to do that, or does that need to go through the resources managers? Prospect. Oh, that's definitely one of our big challenges right now. We have a weekly meeting with all the project managers and all the resource managers to get agreement on who is assigned to what project. We keep the data in a spreadsheet. And the fact is that spreadsheet doesn't always get updated, and sometimes there are multiple copies. So there's lots of, I thought Jim was assigned to my project, it says so right here, but he thinks he's working on something else, and that kind of thing. And of course, those meetings just take a lot of time, which contributes to everyone's frustration. Salesperson, you know, we hear that a lot. Our customers have found that our resource management capabilities have really helped them out in this area. Would you like my team to show you how we address resource management in a demo next week? prospect. Yes, that would be great. I'd love to get out from under these stupid meetings and have all that happening in a system of record. It would make my life much better. Now, the salesperson has established a lot in this interchange. And just so you know, I've had almost this literal conversation with a prospect in the past. It's not really made up. <laughs> so what have we established? Well, you understand the prospect's problem. You have customers who have solved that problem with your solution. At least you've made that claim. You still have to demonstrate that. 
You can show how you solve this resource management problem during a demo. And the salesperson has actually done a presumptive close on the next step of the sales process, the demo. In other words, they got the prospect to say yes to something. And that's something that salespeople use as a technique to sort of get the prospect moving along the process of saying yes to our product. All in all, a lot of power in one little bit of discussion. And this can be done for several different key challenges during the discovery call. For example, you might also provide some questions to explore if the prospect needs to present a dashboard of project status to the executives, if that's another strength of your tool. Asking better discovery questions can make a big difference in sales effectiveness, but there's one more step that will accelerate things even more, and that is to use this information to present a killer demo that's totally focused on the prospect's problems that you discovered, and it can make a giant difference in your sales success. Now, I'm not going to go into the demo component of this in this episode, but I do have a good article about how to demo better using this kind of information that you get during the discovery calls. You can find it in the show notes at alltheresponsibility.com slash 321. Here's some things you can start to do to make use of these ideas. First of all, develop a list of criteria that make a prospect a good candidate for your solution. These are the types of problems they have, the scale of the problem, and so on. The list will be quite different for different types of products. For example, in project management, one criterion might be they have a challenge with managing resource allocations to all the projects in the portfolio. We've kind of gone through that example. Second, turn this list of criteria, the characteristics of good candidates, of good prospects, turn it into open-ended questions that are appropriate for a non-technical salesperson to ask. For example, we already went through this one, how do you allocate resources to projects? Is that done by project managers or by resource managers? Ideally, you also want to provide some follow-up questions as well, such as, well, tell me about the meetings you have for resource allocations. How many people attend? How often? How are the decisions captured? What other resource management solutions have you tried? And you can also provide commentary responses about how existing customers have addressed these challenges with our solution. You can kind of call this or think of this set of questions and responses as a scriptlet. It's a little script that the salesperson can use when doing discovery and working through the sales process with the prospect. Finally, you want to work regularly with the sales team to help them learn and use these questions and scriptlets in their discovery and qualification calls. Simply having three or four of these discovery question scriptlets will help them become significantly more effective. And you can also work regularly with the sales engineering team, that's what we call the people who demo, to make sure they can demonstrate how your solution addresses those specific problems that have been discovered during the discovery calls. So let's talk about objection handling. This is another big topic where product management can help out a lot. You know, during the sales process, the prospect may, and usually does, mention obstacles to getting the deal done reasons they might not want to do the deal. They might say things like, it's too expensive, or your competitor has feature X that you don't have, and we really need feature X. Now, this is a normal part of the sales process. These are called objections, and the process for getting through them is called objection handling. Objection handling is one of the key skills for good salespeople, but if that skill is augmented with great product knowledge provided by product management, then sales can really take off. Now, prospects may have all kinds of objections, and not all of them have to do with the product, of course. A prospect might be concerned that your company might go out of business, or that there won't be enough skilled consultants to handle their implementation needs, just to give two examples. But in this discussion, I focus on handling the objections that are related to the product. So why do prospects have objections? To a large degree, it's not because they're mean or terrible. There's really two reasons. First, objections are used as a negotiating tactic. 
The prospect might want a better deal or more services or just to keep the salesperson off balance. And having a few good objections gives the prospect leverage in the negotiation. But the other reason and the focus of this discussion is that the prospect is working to reduce the risk of making the wrong decision. The cost of making a wrong decision, especially when buying a business application or service, is extremely high for the prospect. There's not just the monetary cost, which in itself is usually substantial for an enterprise application or system, and there's a change management cost of moving an organization to a new system, that's going to be your system, that's likely to be very high as well, and if the new system, again, your system, doesn't work and doesn't deliver the business value expected, there's no good outcome for the prospect. At best, they have egg on their face. More likely, they don't get promoted or they even get fired. And since the business results aren't there, the business suffers, and maybe the business even goes out of business. So prospects do everything they can to reduce those risks. They diversify their search. They look at lots of different ways of achieving the solution, including your product and the products of your competitors. Sometimes they try to implement a solution themselves. They might postpone the decision. After all, a known bad, which is the current situation, is sometimes better than an unknown bad, which is a new application that was very expensive but doesn't work. They do ROI calculations and other modeling to make sure the problem is worth solving and that the solution is cost-effective, assuming it works. And they will try to get the solution for less money. This is the negotiating part, which reduces their financial risk. The risk mitigation we're mostly concerned about in this episode is their product-related buying objections and how to get the prospect past those. I'm assuming, of course, you have a good faith belief that your solution will actually benefit the prospect. I think this is an important ethical consideration, not just in the objection handling process, but throughout the sales process. You don't want to be the person that makes any promise necessary to get the business when your solution isn't actually a good fit for the prospect. And you don't want to enable your salespeople to do that either. But that said, let's get down to brass tacks. The salesperson has one main goal when responding to a prospect's objections, and that is to reduce their perception of risk. Better product knowledge and being able to show how customers are using the product to solve their real-world problems, which are very much like the prospect's problems, go a long way toward addressing these objections. If you can talk about a customer who has faced a similar problem as the prospect's and solved it with your solution, that gives you a strong, persuasive story for reducing perceived risk. Likewise, showing the prospect a demo of your product that shows how it addresses their specific needs is also great for reducing perceived risk. So you can predict many product-related objections in advance. These types of objections come up in almost any situation, and they include things like competitive gaps, missing features, or questions like, how does your product handle situation X? You can sometimes preempt objections like these up front. Asking good questions during discovery and doing a good prospect-focused demo will help reduce objections, but they're always likely to come up. So how do you prepare the sales team for these kinds of objections? Well, the best way is to give the salespeople true stories they can tell about how other customers have been successful. For each of the expected objections, you prepare various stories based on the experiences your customers have with your product and on your various design and implementation decisions. And of course, if you have some amazing features that are differentiating, you want to have stories about those as well. So there's really three key story types to develop for objection handling. The first type is stories that show why a particular objection turns out to not be that important to real customers. You wanted Feature X, but our customers who also wanted Feature X have found they don't miss it. You also want stories that explain why you made a particular design decision, such as choosing not to implement a feature that a competitor has. Our competitors have Feature Y, 
but we decided that instead of putting a lot of effort into Y, which has limited use, we would focus on the much more important area of Z. And then you also want stories that explain why a particular feature you have is much more important than what the competitor offers. So this is the flip side of the previous type of story. I know you're considering one of our competitors, but make sure you ask them about how their customers handle ABC with their product. We have several customers who switched from them to us because of our support for ABC. So here's some things you can do to start building that list of stories and getting it out to your sales folks. First of all, make a list of the features that you have in common with competitors. These are the table stakes. Generally, you won't spend too much time talking about these or demonstrating them because everybody has them. However, if you do have a table stakes feature that you do much better than competitors, you can develop stories about that one, about how your customers are benefiting or that industry analysts are very impressed with your implementation, something like that. But this tends to be the low leverage stuff to do, the table stakes types of stories. You do want to make a list of the things you do that your competitors don't, or that most competitors don't. Develop stories about how customers chose you because of one of these features, or using this feature to enable something valuable. Perhaps they even switched from a competitor because of this feature. Finally, you have to make a list of the features and capabilities that your competitors have that you don't, and develop reasons and stories of why you chose not to develop those, or why customers don't really get value from them. Stories about why customers chose you despite not having those features are particularly compelling. So I've just touched briefly on the surface of objection handling. I hope it's given you some ideas and techniques for getting started in helping your sales team achieve and crush their quotas. So do you provide objection handling tools for your salespeople? I'd love to hear about what you've done in the comments at alltheresponsibility.com slash 321. To sell your product successfully, the sales team must have more than a list of features. Here's what you can do today to make your product more successful. First, observe how the sales team sells your product. Are they focused on the customer's problems and how your product solves them, or are they focused on the product's features and functions? Second, make sure you provide the four key pieces of product knowledge, some of these I covered in the first episode, the value proposition, including the problem you solve and why your solution is better than alternatives, the target segmentation so that marketing can find the right leads, qualifying and discovery questions, and objection handling guidance. Finally, always work on your stories, the customer success stories, the competitive differentiation stories, all the different stories, because those are super powerful tools for the sales organization. Marketing can use them also in their marketing programs. So just work on those stories, continue to talk to customers about their successes with your product. And in fact, I have a new cheat sheet on the website you might find valuable. It's a framework and a template for capturing the information for great customer success stories. To access it, you can go to the show notes at alltheresponsibility.com slash 321, where there's a link, or simply go to alltheresponsibility.com slash stories, and that will take you directly to the access page. The template really gives you all the things you need to gather from the customer to make a really compelling, emotionally grabby customer success story. It's totally going to be valuable when you feed these stories back into the sales organization. I hope you can immediately start using the ideas in this episode and the previous one to ramp up your go-to-market and your collaboration with sales and marketing. I'd love to hear about your successes and challenges. Feel free to leave a comment in the show notes or drop me an email at nils at nilsdavis.com. And I should mention, I do coach product managers and companies on go-to-market and other product management skills. Go to alltheresponsibility.com slash coaching to sign up for a free one-half-hour taster coaching session. 
This has been episode 321 of All the Responsibility, None of the Authority. For show notes and links to the resources I mentioned in the episode, including my articles on all kinds of topics related to go-to-market, customer success stories, and sales enablement, go to alltheresponsibility.com slash 321. Until the next episode, this is Nels Davis. Bye-bye. We have ignition.